Welcome to the Wealthy Circle Forums, where we will hear from finalists that are paving the way into the wealth management industry. Today, we're talking about one of the most talked about advisor technology, technology innovations of late, and that's workflow automation. I'm joined by David Everson, Senior Director of Solutions Marketing for Laserfish, Mark Butler, Chief Operations Officer at Skyance, and Anton Honigman, CEO of MyVest. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, I guess let's just jump right in. Mark, let's start with you. Workflow automation really helps advisors uh, and can help them really begin to scale uh, their wealth management practices. What do you see as the keys to that and how how is Skyance helping in that regard for firms and, and even individual advisors uh, build their practices and scale for growth? Yeah, well, thank you, Davis. First of all, thanks for having us here today and great to connect with you again. When we think about workflow automation, we usually think about it not just from an advisor perspective, but also from, at least in the case of broker-dealers, a home office perspective. And with RIAs, certainly they have centralized offices too. And, and we're we're trying to solve needs in both places because in a lot of cases, we don't think you can do one without the other being impacted. But from an advisor perspective, we usually think about workflow automation in the context of CRM. Skyance has a pretty robust history in the CRM space. Traditionally, it's been pretty much just Salesforce, but we've taken on a little bit more of an open architecture approach and really how within CRM can an advisor model their workflow for their office, how they might communicate with a home office, um, but really what are the things, what are the workflow things that they want to do within CRM to make their lives easier. And we take the vantage point that advisors don't want to deal with technology. They want to turn the machine on and have it all work for them. So um, how do you make that as easy as possible? And so we start with how do, how do our applications make it easy from the get-go um, so they don't need to think about the workflow or think about the technology very much. Anton, um, curious what uh, what you your perspective and that of MyVest would be around workflow automation. How do you see it? How do you? Yeah, I, I, you know, MyVest is a unified wealth management platform, and of course, there are workflows that an advisor undertakes, and we wish to automate that, streamline it, uh, make it more engaging. And that's everything from proposal workflows to um, rebalancing workflows. But it's really critical throughout this discussion as people think about workflow automation and efficiencies is that we're not here only to make advisors more efficient. We're here to make firms more efficient. And if you have a, sort of that enterprise lens, you've got to connect the front office workflows to the middle and back office. And there I, I think of the solid foundation of having an investment book of record that is accurate and updated every single day so that each day when somebody trades an account or generates a bill, 
or generates a performance report or anything along those lines, it's done on accurate data. The challenge, of course, is at scale. That's hard to do without significant investment in automation. Uh, we have been investing heavily in our middle and back office automation over the last number of years, and that is reaping rewards. And so that's how we think about it. It's not just about making advisors more efficient, but it's about making firms more efficient through improved automation and improved accuracy. All right, David, uh, what, what were you and Laser Fish, uh, how do you think about um, workflow automation? View it, yeah, it. just to kind of you know add to what Mark and Anton are talking about, and Anton's correct. Um, when we talk about process automation, which is at the foundation of what Laserfish does, being a software uh, provider, that really that's our that's our business model is process automation, and, and we do that through form form management and repository and collecting metadata. So to Anton's point, it's not just the advisor; it's firms, and you know many firms have multiple locations, and with remote client onboarding with paper management, you know, the ability to um, track that and, and, and bring that into a repository and pulling the metadata off of that and getting rid of paper forms, which obviously lends itself to the human error factor and just really streaming that, streamlining the process. We're finding tremendous benefits on process automation, taking that kind of administrative task off the plate of an advisor or an administrative assistant, automating that entire process, and again, keeping a single source of record um, that's easily tracked and, again, pulling that metadata off for reporting. So couldn't agree more with what Anton said about not only for the advisor, but for, for, for the efficiency of firms around that process. Both when it comes to current systems and system management and in, in the future also, probably even more so because there's going to be more data available. How, how do each of you and your firms and or the applications technology you provide, um, how do you view data management and integrations fitting into that? Um, all the more often I hear about solutions out there in, innately having data lakes tied to them. So firms in particular and, and providers, I think it's coming more increasingly required to be able to manage large data sets and be able to scale them, provide permissioning and all that sort of thing. So I'm curious what what each of you, you and your firms think in, in that and what's coming in the future. Um, I guess we'll start with you this time, David. Yeah, two things. When we talk about data management, we, we are proud to offer both self-hosted and cloud-based platforms. So data management isn't a problem when you think about the, 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 the amount of metadata and the amount of forms that are collected. I think for us, um, where we're seeing the biggest transformation is the integration uh, with other OEM software partners. So that IPaaS model, that integration platform as a service. So we're seeing the biggest trends around connecting other platforms, whether it's you know, Workday and HR or some sort of CRM platform like Salesforce, you know, that business critical ability to connect multiple software platforms through API integrations without creating customized handshakes and using aggregates like Boomi or MuleSoft out there, we're seeing the biggest trends around the requirement, frankly, of having a true integration. So mining the data, connecting with other OEM platforms is, is business critical, and especially in the trends around, as I mentioned earlier, you know, onboarding of new clients and, and the data around that. Anton, how about you? 
Uh, you've opened up such a sort of a broad topic we could take. I know, so especially, especially for an enterprise provider like you. Yeah, in enterprise wealth management, I think the 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 use of operational data stores, however they're hosted, uh, is a sort of a critical need uh, so that uh, the enterprise client firms can actually, we talk about this efficiency, they can actually interrogate uh, the data to determine efficiency gains over time. Are they... Are they auto funding accounts? Is that is the reconciliation accurate at, at, at above ninety nine percent on a daily basis? Was there um, any misses? Were there things that were uh, bills that were not generated, or reports that were not generated, or trades that didn't happen as a result of any inefficiencies in the operational flow? Um, operational data stores can help inform that. You mentioned integrations, a key set of integrations in the back office that help with operational efficiency are the custodial integrations and the custodians are improving their APIs so that the integrations with the platforms that consume the data can be tighter, more automated, more efficient. Examples include if you, if you have a fixed income system and new fixed income securities get created, the, the APIs from the custodians can actually send the security information of the new securities and the downstream systems that consume them, instead of having human beings manually create those new securities, can set up uh, software to automatically create new securities. So there's that one example. There's many that you can do with custodial account opening, custodial funding, money movement, as I said, new security setup, uh, which... The, the nature of how you do the integrations can inform the downstream efficiencies. It's an area that we're paying particular attention to. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark, you want to chime in here? Yeah, I think from an enterprise data management perspective, I think the industry is still still lags behind. I think there's, I think the definition of how people have define enterprise data management is is often limited in scope. And the reason for that is I think a lot of providers who position themselves as enterprise data management providers really aren't enterprise. They're collecting data for their purposes. If you look at performance reporting providers, for instance, they're collecting the data that they need in order to run a performance report they're not really collecting enterprise level data, which is really all of the data attributes that you might get from a clearing firm, a custodian, um, an industry provider like a DTCC or a DST. When we work with firms, the enterprise data management aspect usually takes um, a broader form. What I mean by that is, you know, if you're working with a bank broker dealer, for instance, there's banking data that they want to be able to bring into the wealth management experience. If you're working with an independent broker dealer, there's often advisory data that they want to bring into it. There might be commission data. And so there's kind of a base level of industry available <clears throat> data capabilities, clearing firms, custodians, other industry participants. But to make the circle complete, you have to be able to do more than that. And I think a lot of providers have created this limited definition of enterprise data management by virtue of the capabilities that they provide. 
Um, I think on integrations, it really is about how do you make the integrations easy and are you really solving for a problem, an unmet need? Um, so again, <clears throat> back to what I said before, advisors want the tech to be really easy. Is the integration making it easy for an advisor or does the advisor still need to take another step? And the same could be said for firms. I think Anton was right in what he said about the importance of serving firms as well. And so there are some very good integration capabilities out there that come out of the box. Um, a lot of our Applications at Skyance are built on the force.com platform. We often use the App Exchange as a starting point, which is a great integration platform. As you guys know, Veo from TD used to be a really good integration platform. And then I think also just the last point on integration is defining what defining what outcome you're trying to solve for is really going to determine how deep or how bespoke you may have to get with an integration. And so we do find ourselves in some cases with developing more bespoke integrations if we think we can solve for an industry need that nobody else has solved for. Mm. That raises a, an interesting segue for me in terms of, I kind of fear that there's going to be this data divide between small, certainly solo practitioners and maybe small ensemble firms versus, you know, what I'll call is the midsize and larger firms say, uh, uh, you know, when you think about scale, you could, you could say it either begins at like 500 million in AUM or billion in AUM and up, you know, two really, two examples that jump out at me that are, I wrote about recently are, um, both Orion and Investnet, gosh, they're, they're each working with a, a cloud provider um, and or intelligence system, um, Investnet with Snowflake, uh, uh, Orion using AWS and Redshift and introducing that to firms. My, my fear, for example, you talking about this, that some of the smaller firms, probably not many at Orion, but you know Investnet with the wide scope of its offerings, there may be some. I'm not sure a lot of smaller firms are going to be able to take advantage of that and leverage that, especially around areas of business intelligence. Um, and I see the potential in machine learning um, as one way that could be solved. Uh, I, that's, you know, I can envision pathways for that, either other providers doing it or, or, or things coming out for individual firms that could tap into larger data sets and data lakes. I am curious, A, do you guys think there could be a coming kind of great divide between the smaller advisors, the ones that desperately need to grow the most and the larger firms that can make take advantage and leverage these tools? And second to that, where do you see machine learning and or any other, other artificial, artificial intelligence technologies coming into play? Uh, David, to be fair, let's, let's spin around and start with you there. Yeah, it's a good question when you talk about, you know, the smaller medium firms to the larger firms. Here's what I can tell you. You know, at Laserfish, just last week, actually, we launched handwriting recognition and evolution of our artificial intelligence machine learning uh, capabilities. And, you know, when I look at the, I mean, there's still a lot of paperwork out there. There's still a lot of manual filling out like as I mentioned earlier, client onboarding or just data and information being transferred between offices. Uh, sometimes it's still heavy in email and heavy in paper. Um, so when I look at machine learning, 
as a feature set, I'm, we are finding it more business critical that the ability to capture data, not just in specific forms or identifiable forms, but truly handwritten data, being able to capture that and translate that into metadata that could be tracked and, and, and stored and analyzed and equally as important, put back into a kind of form set or data set. We're finding that equally as important. That's the feedback that we're getting from the, the sector and the industries within wealth management, that firms and advisors are really looking for ways to simplify that. And machine learning obviously helps capture that and helps process that. So it kind of falls under the same umbrella as process and form automation. Um, so the, 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 the real interesting question that you bring up, though, is, is small, medium versus large. I, I think ultimately, and this is a little bit off topic, but you'll get the theme, what I'm trying to uh, imply is, you know, as younger employees join firms, there's an expectation of automation. There's an expectation of efficiencies. There's an expectation of innovation. And we're certainly seeing the idea of artificial intelligence, machine learning as almost being a requirement. So regardless of small, medium, or large, we're seeing that trend of you know, new employees joining this industry as, as really looking for um, the innovation around that and getting out of the old ways of doing business around paper and paper management. Anton, how about you? Yeah, well, I, I agree with that. I think uh, that's a broader digitization trend and actually expectation. I think on a, on a macro level, though, Scale matters and scale will increasingly matter with fee pressure, margin compression, any industry that has that sees um, a drive towards consolidation and scale. We've certainly seen that in our uh, wealth management industry on both the broker dealer and the RIA side. However, there is a long tail of small businesses that still exist. They will struggle to have the technology budgets and access to some of the tools that you're talking about. However, mitigating that, I think, is the fact that many of them sit on some form of platform, be it a custodian or a TAMP, and those, those platforms are increasingly adding those technology capabilities to their service offering. So you're not requiring these small firms themselves to have uh, large technology staffs because they're effectively outsourcing those capabilities to the platforms upon which they sit. So I'd like to distinguish whether or not we think the technology, the AI and machine learning and other digitization and enhancements are relevant and necessary, which they absolutely are, from whether or not it's going to drive the divide. I think the divide is a bigger issue, partially mitigated by the platforms. Hmm. Well, not to, to ask you to go too far down the rabbit hole, but uh, you think, what is the answer for the smaller firms? Are they going to have to be acquired on the most part? Are they going to have to, those advisors going to kind of have to close up shop and join a bigger firm? Do you see any kind of a trend there and what's going to happen in terms of scale, having to scale I, I, or? Yeah, my, my personal opinion on that is that if you have a niche, if you have a differentiation, mm -hmm. uh, like you serve uh, sort of a certain professional community, right. architects, lawyers, doctors, or you, you know, sports professionals, then you have legs, particularly if you build a network and expertise and a reputation in those fields. But if you have a relatively run-of-the-mill, vanilla, small um, business, I think it's going to be tough. And um, I, I, until the last few months, 
you know, their valuations were pretty high and it was right. it'd be hard to pass up on somebody <laughs> coming by and wanting to acquire your business and consolidate you. Right. So I think we'll see an ongoing trend towards consolidation. But just like we've seen in the investment manager, the asset management industry, some boutiques will remain. Mm. But it'll be it'll be sort of a bipolar distribution. You're going to have a bimodal distribution. You're going to have very large firms, national brand RIAs with hundreds of billions of dollars in AUM. And on the other end of the spectrum, boutiques. But I think the, the smaller middle is going to be washed away. Yeah. Mark, we'll give you the last word on this, uh, this set of questions here. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I agree with um, the last comment from Anton. I 100% I agree with that. I would say the divide, Davis, um, in in a lot of cases really comes back to the people that you have on staff. And so I've worked with large firms that look large, they are large, but they don't really have the people on staff to know what to do with the data or what the power of the data could be, how they, they don't have people who are sitting around thinking, hey, if I had access to all of this data, how could I put it to use to either help my firm grow or to help my firm operate more efficiently? On the other hand, I've been at some small firms that are multi-custodial. They understand the data. They're leveraging the data in different ways. Most of the time, it's more for operational efficiency and just monitoring of the business, you know, using dashboards and things like that. It's less about growth. So there, there, is, a, there is a divide there. And again, I think it comes back to who do you have people who really understand how to put that data to use? You know, you've seen firms hire chief data officers that focus on this and go deep on it. Some firms have said, you know what, the data not, not, it's not as important to us. So I think there's a maturity aspect to it. Again, it gets back to the people that you have on that you might have on staff that I think are going to drive that are going to end up driving a lot of that. If you don't mind, can I riff on that for a second? Please, I'm, so, I'm so glad you brought up the people, Mark, because we, we've all been talking about the technology driving scale and efficiency and automation, which is a wonderful thing. But just like in, in the advisory space, we talked about, uh, you know, robo-advisors going to take over from humans and sort of this coming sort of robot Armageddon. What do, what do we mean for overall process workflow and for the people who are formerly involved in all of that? I, and I think part of it is a story about the divide, but part of it is a story about, you know, I think it's inevitable that you will probably need fewer people than you did before to handle the same amount of volume. On a, on a per unit of volume basis, you'll need fewer people and you could do it with more accuracy, more reliability, more timeliness with fewer people. I think that's that's inevitable. However, there is still a role, just like there's still a role for an advisor, a human advisor in, in the front office, there's still a role for operations staff and for data scientists, et cetera. It's just that role is shifting from something which has traditionally been more of a commodity function to being something that's much more of a value add function. 
it's along the lines of stuff that Mark was talking about. How do you interpret the data? If you've automated away the 90%, how do you diagnose what's going on in the 10%? That's where it, these firms are coming in. It's, it's more specialized, higher value human tasks with more commodity tasks being done, frankly, better by the digital technology tools that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, that's no doubt the the role definitions for many roles in wealth management have changed significantly. And it's it's placed a, a greater emphasis, I would say, on being able to do exactly what Anton said, which is how do you decipher the data? And, you know, being able to move widgets and process checks and process new accounts like that commodity stuff is not valued as much as it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. That's actually a great segue to the next question I had. Of late, um, going back probably the last year, I, I've covered quite a few very, they're niche, both in terms of being very small now, but also niche in what they do, but they each kind of are within the automation realm, helping automation. Um, a few specific examples that fit in this area, but they're each so they, they each share and have some overlap, but they're also very specific. Hubley is one that uh, it works with. It's sort of an overlay for both Wealthbox and Redtail. I think they're planning to add others. It kind of helps with, it's an overlay to your CRM so that a lot of the things you used to have to automate if you were one of these small to mid-sized firms kind of dedicate staff and resources to doing, seeing, um, repeating processes in the same way. It takes a lot of their way. There are a few others that take come from different angles. Pulse 360 is one. It's a little more basic. Starts with documentation like meeting summaries. Um, there's Cognicore, which is sort of a chat engine, but they're trying to come in and build using machine learning predictive analytics to, to, to do a lot of the, you know, if you've got to change a beneficiary on a form, someone can do a chat into your, it's a chat session into your firm to do that without having to get a client service person on the phone. Um, Benjamin is another example, which they're taking a somewhat of a AI driven approach to doing some of the things, stitching together a lot of these tasks, task management, um, automation that used to require humans to do. And each of your firms are working on various pieces that fit within each of what these I just named are doing. But I'm, I'm curious, where do you see those in the ecosystem? Are they a temporary patch that's going to go away as each of you know, firms and the, your competitors are probably rolling out a lot of these features themselves? Or is this something that may be the thing that the really small advisor needs to help stretch their own staff, their own ability to scale? Um, uh, let's see. I guess, Anton, start with you this time. Yeah, I, I don't think they're a flash in the pan. I, I, I think it's important instead of looking at the companies to look at the problems that they're solving. Some of it is stitching together disparate processes, but some of them are sort of also trying to generate really sophisticated insight, mm. uh, ranging from, I know that Fidelity is working on uh, call transcripts for their call, in their call centers and looking at sentiment from, from the transcripts, trying to understand client sentiment from looking at the interaction between themselves and the call center. There are firms that are using computer vision from cell phones to improve OCR. OCR has existed for a long time. You can take a PDF and extract metadata from a PDF. I'm sure Laserfish is, is leading the way in this, but with computer vision, you can actually improve upon some of the former weaknesses of OCR and get sort of blurry text into a better uh, 
to better sort of data population or bad reproductions are now actually improved upon. So these things are needed to make this, this promise of workflow automation, data insight, et cetera, um, permanent, scalable, <laughs> uh, dynamic. So you know, I don't know whether all these companies individually survive, but in, in, in on mass, what they're doing is moving our industry forward. Hmm. Mark, yeah, I look at um, you know I look at <laughs> solutions like Benjamin, which um, <clears throat> I think Matt Reiner's done a done an awesome job with, and um, you know, with the perspective of running an RIA, you know, he built a solution that automates these things that. Hmm you know, in a lot of cases, frankly, are resulting in better client service notifications to clients that just happen automatically. Like the RAAs in his office don't even need to think about it. Like these notifications, these updates are just going out to clients. And in some cases, they're, um, you know, they're scheduled. And, you know, you talked about smaller offices, I think, um, you know, it might be the kind of thing where a smaller office needs to take three steps back in order to take 10 steps forward. But a solution like Benjamin, for instance, to me, picks up where a lot of CRM solutions kind of leave off. There's a depth to them. You might call them micro workflows, but there's a depth to them that most CRMs aren't willing to get to but those solutions are. And so I think they're going to help. I think they're going to grow. I think advisors are going to have to be willing, like I said, to take three steps back and invest time to get it set up right. But they're never going to look back once they've put it into place. And David, we'll give you the last word on this. Yeah, uh, you know, just to add on to what Mark and Anton has already said, right, and to your question about using the example of updating beneficiaries, something, you know, simple as that. I mean, I think ultimately firms, regardless of the side, are looking at, you know, customer and client satisfaction, right? That's driving engagement and referrals. And, you know, when you make the initiative as simple as easy to do business with us, right, the firm itself or the advisor itself, I think ultimately you're going to see that client satisfaction score go higher and, and many firms are tracking that. So the idea of making it easy to do business and easy to update, you know, we're in a digital world now where, you know, going into the office isn't necessary. So there's different ways to approach that process, whether it's an online portal or using forms that um, Anton hit on this a little bit of capturing that data and that metadata that feeds into a larger data set. I mean, I think ultimately you know, if you're a small or medium firm without a sophisticated IT department, and Anton hit on this, you know, a lot of firms outsource this, but, you know, there are many low-code or no-code integration platforms that, you know, support that easy-to-do business um, business model when you're looking at client satisfaction. So I don't see the trend going away. I think, frankly, the opposite. I think firms are going to look for ways of doing business that make it easy for the client to engage with the advisor and the firm. And equally as important, internal and internal operations of taking that information and, and easily uh, digesting the data and supporting the client and the communication strategy. So I think it's just going to get more and more uh, a requirement, especially, as I mentioned, under the client satisfaction initiative and um, programs like Laserfish, which is a no-code program, I think is ultimately what these uh, initiatives are designed for. 
for firms that don't have a sophisticated IT department. All right. Gentlemen, I hate to say it, but we're out of time. I, I for myself, could go on talking to you guys for another hour easily. <laughs> I'd like to thank uh, David Everson of Laserfish, Mark Butler of Skyance, and Anton Honekman of MyVest for joining me today. And thank you to the audience for listening and to this Wealthy Circle podcast. For more Wealthy Circle podcasts, visit WMTV on wealthmanagement.com. Mm-hmm.